0: Welcome to another edition of Practitioner Radio, Pink Elephant's podcast for the IT management community. Welcome to Practitioner Radio, episode 45, Pink Elephant's podcast for the IT management community. Hey, it's Chris Dancy, and I'm here with my friend, Troy Duelay. Hey, Chris. Hello, Troy. Hello, Troy. Hello, Troy. All the world is still abuzz about standard and case, but we are
1: pressing on. You know, you have to come down to reality someday, and when it comes down to it, you
0: know, usually there's a money pit at the bottom. (laughs) I that was I was too much of a lead, in I know. Yes, speaking of money, Pete, have you heard of this Axolos organization? All right, moving on. So, service-based costing. Uh, now, this is this is a topic we touched on lightly, and you've got you've blogged about it in the past. I think you told me. I'm not going to cheat. You told me about this episode eight, which was March 24, 2011. So, uh, over two years ago, yeah, we uh, we started talking a little bit about financial management. Yeah, we did talk about service-based costing a little bit there, but it was broader. So today we want
1: to kind of focus in on, you know, that question of when you define services, what does it cost? Because that in the end is the second question you usually get out of the customer's mouth the moment you start talking, okay, here's my catalog and here's my requestable service units. And, you know, now you actually have a unit you can compare to something externally. And so almost invariably, you have to kind of, acknowledge the fact that eventually someone's going to ask
0: you the question about money. Mm. This, This question of money, I mean, you probably have a whole show planned on how we're going to do this, but I would think it would be really hard. So, you know, as a family, you know, me and my family, we're starting to look at what we pay for all of these different services, you know, the cloud services for sharing files, cloud services for entertainment, cloud services for security, all these other types of things. But as soon as we got into it, they were linked to so many other services. So even though the companies weren't actually tied to each other, they were tied to a bigger actual service we were consuming, right? So the internet uh, for my home is a service. Uh, The Netflix is a service. Now, Netflix on its own is fine. It's $10 a month. But without the internet, it's really a useful service. So do you bundle them together or am I just starting to bark bark up the wrong tree?
1: Well, you have to start watching your incremental cost. So actually, let's come back to that family conversation yeah. a minute because right. you know, why haven't we been forced to talk about this before? Uh, it comes back to the concept of family budgets, actually. Hmm. So in your mind, Chris, when do you think a family would start paying attention
0: to a budget? Well, for me, I don't know about normal families. My family was, is whenever we're like, what are we spending all this money on? And in the past, if there's been a change in employment or a change in salary, you get an increase, you know, you get a promotion or something. You go, oh, I've got more money. What can I spend it on? We just never took the time to pay attention like when there wasn't a crisis.
1: Yeah, well, that's the point. What's the trigger for asking the question about? do we need to put a budget together and now start carefully watching where all the money is flowing and where it's going and all the things that we've you know signed up for it's a crisis right it's there's some pain there's some feeling of constraint saying oh maybe i better do something a bit more um or basically pay attention a bit more to what we're doing today so you know when you're in this lots of money is hanging around and you no know, anytime i need more money i can go get some more and ask for more, and it kind of pretty much flows freely. Then no one wants to talk money. No one wants to talk financial transparency, which is the big mm. word, you know. And no one is asking you to account for the money given to you in your last budget replenishment or in, in the last um, time you've been given uh, your allowance as a <laughs> as a you know
0: son. Yeah, was it was it show eight where you actually used? I don't know if it was an analogy or you you introduced me to this concept of. Uh, a budget versus a bill, or it was—it was really interesting the way you looked at money. It was like, you know, it was afterward you looked at the money, not beforehand.
1: In that context, in that analogy, I've had customers tell me, "Well, listen, we don't really have to pay attention to financial transparency and get into service-based costing because you know we're a cost center and we're not—we're not, we're not a, a chargeback organization." And so, my point to them is well, that's hogwash, actually, because your An entity within a business who's given money annually to run. And whether you're requesting a budget replenishment, whether you have to validate and verify why you deserve it or not, or you're putting a a formal bill on the table, an invoice on the table, you're doing the same thing. It's simply a matter of granularity, transparency, and formality that's being
0: talked about. That's what it was. it was the difference between are you issuing an invoice or getting a budget? You're both charging. Or if you're not, you don't want to use the word charge, you're both
1: requiring funding.
0: Mm.
1: (laughs) How you go about requesting and getting funding is moot. You're both offering services for money rendered, Mm. right? But again, when would the business or the parents start asking for accountability? It would only be when things get tight. And, you know, you look at the various analyst type organizations and they show the IT spin over the last decade Chris, in your view, you know, where has that gone? What's the trend in spend?
0: Uh, it's been going up overall. Overall, I mean, you know, they're saying 1.3 trillion for next year. I think is the Forrester number I read last week. Uh, so the number seems, uh, you know, when they talk about overall IT spend, seems to be going up, but it's not going up in the areas that you know I'm used to. Now you might disagree with me, but that's okay. There might be specific
1: spike areas in the cloud, into cloud and to business intelligence, et cetera, where you see some spend. Uh, But if you look at a decade worth of trending, the actual revenue we're getting today versus 10 years ago is flat.
0: Okay, so revenue meaning? Uh, Investment in IT overall. Okay, investment in IT. So it's actually gone flat. So we're not spending more in IT in 2013 than we did in 2003. We're not getting more money from the business. Oh, that's different. Okay, I see what you're saying. The business could be spending more money on IT, but IT is not getting that money. Or is that too complicated?
1: It's a bit too complicated. What okay. I'm trying to say is there might be spike areas of investment. But overall, if you look at the what the industry is spending
0: mm-hmm. in
1: IT, IT, there isn't a lot of net new money coming from that period of time. We're pretty flat as far as total investment into IT over a 10-year period. We might be recovering now in pre-recession uh, timeframes, but we're not spiking beyond that. You follow me there?
0: Completely. Yeah, uh, actually, it was Gartner last week said uh, we're going to hit three point seven this billion, which is which is flat compared to the last few years in a row. So you're right. Exactly. That's what I'm trying to say. So it's only when
1: the belt gets tightened, and you know there's no net new buckets of money coming your way, that you're now having to do better accounting, starting to look at budgets. Yep. So the you know. In general, IT hasn't been required to give good visibility, good granularity into understanding where is the money flowing. So in general, you know, the analogy I like to use, the the maturity of IT cost management is, okay, I have this big bucket called IT. Uh, Anything that costs anything, salaries, infrastructure, you know, maintenance, vendor contracts, anything that costs IT gets put into this big bucket. We might differentiate capital projects versus run. But that's as probably as we have two buckets. So we have the build, you know, capital initiatives, and we have run. And then we take that run bucket and uh, we shake it up at the end of the year, and it might you total what, you know, twenty million dollars. Mm-hmm. And okay, we've got ten business units that that we have to kind of recover from. So we might just do a general allocation. Y'all, you, you all get to pay two million each. Thank you very much. And that's as much visibility into costing that we've done traditionally. But now you've got competitive options, mm-hmm. right? You've got the managed service provider saying we can do, we can manage your run environment, or we can do your development over here uh, in India. Uh, you've got cloud offers saying Salesforce.com and other cloud offers, you know, out there saying, okay, you could, you know, manage your own internal CRM, but we can offer you this over here at a unit by unit cost. So, and you only get to pay for what you use. And then that pressure is being delivered directly to the business, who then turn around to internal IT and say, that, it looks like a good deal. Uh, what can you guys do comparatively against this unit-by-unit consumption-based recovery model? And IT kind of goes, gulp, because their discipline around this, I mean, they haven't even got it bucketed in that kind of way, right? It's just this big amorphous blob called IT.
0: That would be difficult because uh, if I were a CIO and I'd been a CIO at a company for twenty years, and I knew what my what my spend was every year, and then I had someone come in was you know any one of these uh, external uh, suppliers, you know, a cloud supplier, or something else like that, and I was trying to measure apples to apples. Um, on premise or, or or going outside. I think it would be hard for me because I'd have to just trust the vendor's word that it's cheaper. Because I don't know in my experience many people who could show me the actual numbers, the, the service-based costing as you said. Exactly.
1: So how do you even go about that comparison to evaluate the potential for is it cheaper to manage your your data center outside? Right? Is it cheaper to get hosted messaging and email than doing it internally when you don't have that benchmark. So the base decision here is challenged because you know in we're supposed to make decisions based on the financial risk. Or yep. Yep. <laughs> well, at least that's one of
0: the main contributors. I was going to ask you about risk, but I thought this this conversation goes so many directions, I've got to just let you talk.
1: <laughs> well there's many different ways we'd make a decision, right? There's
0: value, there's risk, there's
1: financial return, or at least cost. And how do I make a, an informed decision from an IT strategy, a business strategy, looking to enable business outcomes with IT services unless I actually know the comparable cost for what I do today? So as markets get tighter, as profit and margins begin to get tighter, you know, unless you're in this, one of these growth markets, there's less money going around so people have to do better accounting and better uh, financial transparency. And that's where now this this driver on from the executive side, anyway, is coming for service-based costing. They need to be able to make business decisions relative to comparative analysis and options mm. that are external. Yep. But our whole psyche and how we look at IT from a technical perspective, uh, you know, just here's operations as a big bucket, doesn't do well in this comparative analysis unless I'm looking at. Operations as a big bucket, as an external offer, which is not comparable. No one does that. No. They're going to have, okay, your business analysis will cost you this. Your project management will cost you that. Uh, Your messaging will basically be at this cost. Uh, Your telephony service will be at this cost. So they they have to look at it at a service-by-service basis. Just like you were starting to go with Netflix costs this. All right, that's true. But then I have my internet that costs this. But to even have that combination, you would have to have known those two elements and they combine together.
0: Yeah. It would be my I guess inclination to automatically start to like let it sprawl like, okay, what about electricity? What about the cost you know, to air condition the room, that sort of thing. <laughs>
1: well, but you would probably bucket that into utilities, right? So you'd have service categories that you would kind of get around. But the key is you're looking at line items, being able to aggregate those up to higher and higher concepts. But you're not just looking at one big dollar figure. You're having to to segment out what you're doing and what it costs. Because we can't make decisions about where I cut back unless I know what I'm cutting. I could cut something invariably that would actually disconnect something else if I didn't know this dependency. Right. Right. So here's a challenge. We have these consumption-based options, service-based options externally, but the average organization is still struggling to understand what a service is and move their organization to service-based management. Yep. But that's just the first step because eventually when I now start to segment my offers into these are the building blocks that I'm you know, enabling and delivering to deliver business outcomes, in the end I'm going to have to get a better sense of what those blocks cost because when I assemble different levels and different offers of these blocks – there's different costing that you know suddenly I have to be aware of. It goes back to the premise: you start paying attention to the Ps and Qs, the you know the dollar figures, only when you're required to by some external trigger, like a crisis, like uh, belt tightening, budgets flat, for example.
0: Yeah, because I remember when we talked about the service management office. I don't. It it just seems to me like I, I never even thought when we were having that talk, and we also talked about that at I think peak. Twelve or thirteen. Um, I, we, I we I don't remember talking about the financial aspects of that. And can you have a service management office if you haven't done this work?
1: Well, you're getting into a function now dedicated to managing the governance and continual improvement of the service management processes. Okay. Um, and there's a cost to that. Uh, so, and actually, you know, we talked about professional services. Remember in that mm-hmm. the episode on service definition. Mm-hmm. So. The same thing applies for your project management office or your security office. You have to say, well, first of all, that my PMO, my information security group, and my now service management group have some benefit. There's a professional service they're delivering. Service excellence, service availability, whatever that might be, governance, metrics. And so they have a cost and they have a value. So before I can build a business case to create a service management office, I have to show what that cost would be and what I'm going to get out of it. Today, we have fragmented processes everywhere, and we have people running multiple tools to manage those fragmented processes. And we've got people in different administrative and governance roles across the organization. Could we not centralize that and have a, a central center of excellence, for example, to kind of move consistent practice, consistent process, consistent tools as a goal, the same thing applies to PMO. Uh, today, I have project managers sprinkled everywhere, <laughs> right? Every group has its own PMs. Do I need twenty-five PMs sprinkled across the organization, or could I centralize that group and gain some efficiencies? There's this question of cost that has to come into this, and if I don't want to, you know, consolidate, then I have to then prove the value of why that's the case. Right. So service-based costing isn't so much about reduction in cost. But at least gives me the decision capability to make informed decisions about where do I spend the limited resources I have. So when I'm thinking about bringing on a new CRM system, you know what's the cost of providing that outcome today? And if I'm going to potentially use a software as a service model like Microsoft Dynamics, hmm. you know what's the comparative cost of externalizing it versus maintaining it internally?
0: And again, the people who are looking and managing these services uh, internally, obviously, when, when do they really get a chance to sit down and 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 do this type of exercise in this service-based costing? I mean, I, I mean, I can, I've been to a lot of sessions uh, and listened to a lot of people talk about, you know, service management, expensive, but the, the, this part of it I rarely hear. So, yeah, because it's advanced, is it? Yeah, okay. So that I was just going to say, is this a mature organization? thing
1: it is and unfortunately though some companies are having the requirement for financial transparency forced upon them by their board of directors or by senior leadership but they have got nothing in place to basically substantiate how to get there Mm. because there's some things you have to be able to do first and we've been talking about this for the last few minutes you have to have segmented your your outcomes have defined your services right right and then you're going to have to say okay some services that are direct uh or core Some are indirect or enabling. So I've got this CRM service to the outside business unit, but it's indirectly supported by hosting, storage. Um, It's indirectly supported by IT support, information security, architecture. So I've got this service taxonomy now that said, okay, these are the directs, and there's the cost elements of these direct elements. But I've got to now overlay not just the direct cost for the CRM service, but now I've got to do some kind of allocation of a percentage of my hosting, hmm. a, an element of my my data center services and monitoring, et cetera, storage, network, <laughs> right? Some percentage of the infosec group, some percentage of the uh of the support requirement. So I've got this model of okay, I've got I've got layers. Like you said, I've got my internet, and I've got my Netflix. They both come together. They're not in, they're not separable. And, and, oh, and electricity. Right, so hmm. and electricity, if you want to go down to that level. So it's, it's an art more than a science, but you have to have some logic behind it. It feels very big data-ish, <laughs> believe it or not. It, well, there is. And I'm going to come back to that as well. Where do you get the data for this? So let's say I have my CRM service, and anything that is directly related to the CRM service, be that a person whose job is to only do that, right? Um, a server... Actually, I'll come back to that. Uh, so the person whose job, the facilities that, that that service is in, a portion of that component, um, the amount of incident calls or support calls I get against it. So there's this this component of cost, but there's also the, the server, the database, the middleware, uh, the monitoring tools. So I'm going to have to understand not just the direct cost for CRM, but the indirect. So let's say a hosting. My hosting... It's an application, uh, so it's hosted on a server, uh, and the server is a unit of service for the hosting service. But that server is not just the cost of the hardware of the server. It's also got embedded in it the, the softer cost of the people managing that service, uh, the licenses and such for the OS and other things that go with it, uh, the, the monitoring I might be having on that service with the event management systems, So that unit of service called a server will be the driver that I apply to the CRM. But it's not going to be just the cost of the technology of the
0: hardware. It's got to have some kind of burden cost of the total service. Is there a a template, I mean, you've got a lot of good stuff on your blog, but is there a template someplace of where someone could just get started with understanding just at a high level? Like you've used some terms like indirect cost, direct cost. Uh, fractions of people like in post section. Is there just a generalized template, or maybe in an in an ITIL book or something, where someone could at least start to think about these elements? Well, these are in the ITIL book at a high level, um, mm. but you know, at a high level,
1: you know, we provide some things in our in our resource kits. I've got a paper out there that went out on a pink link. All right, defining, modeling, and costing IT services. So there is, because there's something we can link to
0: in the show notes for that, because that'd be really nice. I'll have to find that paper. I think it's. Right, you don't uh, have to find it. We'll, we'll, we'll look for it. What about Pink? Atlas? It Al- went out in a pink pink link recently. Uh, what about Pink Atlas? Would, was yeah, it it's something? definitely in there. That's oh, behind. There uh, that's behind an authorization. Oh, that's, well, that's all right. Maybe if we but, get to, we'll get someone to 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 ask you for a sneak peek of Pink Atlas sometime. <laughs> so this is a cost model we're talking about,
1: right? Mm-hmm. So how do I understand the that the big dollar figure at the CRM unit of service, which is an account? I get an account as an employee it bears also some aspect of the indirect supporting services. It has to, right? And the amount of data we have and the accuracy is now the question because ideally, in a theoretically perfect world, which we all live in, quote-unquote, you'd have a CMDB where all of this stuff was related and I could simply just track dollars down to the lowest item and it would all aggregate up through relationship and dependencies. Good luck with that because... No organization has that level of detail. Or if you do, then congratulations, you're one of a very small, <laughs> small, yeah, infinitesimal. Robin calls it the
0: 1% club or some <laughs> crazy number like that. I can't remember what it is.
1: So what organizations do is they chunk their, their finances at a higher level. So the concept of a system. Yep. So they'll have, okay, uh, the CRM system, we can say, has these major cost elements. Uh, hosting system has these major people process technology cost elements. So people simply just have to aggregate up. It's better than no knowledge at all. Yep. But it's not down to a granular device-by-device-device device, device, device accounting. That would take a level of data discipline very few people have. So they're still bucketing, right? So you know, I said you're, before people were bucketing under run and under projects. Well, they're having to bucket still, but now they're bucketing under services. And even those are kind of defined as direct and indirect or core or enabling for the idle terms. But it's still a better now level of bucketing than just the highest level number. You follow me there? Yep. So I can I can have a logical conversation with my customer saying, okay, yeah, I have a laptop. And my unit of service for this laptop here costs you twenty five hundred dollars. For I have a MacBook Pro thirteen. Right. And they go, hey, 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 I can go to Best Buy and get that same model, same spec, for well, like twelve hundred bucks. Right, right? And I said, yes, but that's just the technology, not the totality of the service, correct, right so that's we you know that's the difference here that the product, in this case, is not the totality of all the elements going into enabling service.
0: It's interesting that you mentioned Apple because I in my experience, I've only been Apple using Apple products for maybe three years now. Uh, when you do buy an Apple product, there's two things they try to sell you right up front. Uh, an extended warranty. And go for that, by the way. I've had three laptops die <laughs> in my life cycle. <laughs> so yeah, it's called Apple Care. Um, it, which, you know, also gives you access. Apple Care also gives you access to some of their supporting services. Support. Yep. If you don't have those things. And then they also try to, or they offer you training. So uh, one-on-one, they call it one-on-one, I think. So there's classes and individual stuff. So it's almost as if from a retail experience, they've thought about, You're not just buying a device. You're also buying the enhanced support and the education around this. And it makes me wonder if there's any analogies. I think there might be, but I want you to confirm or deny any any parallels here.
1: Well, that's exactly right. So what good is the product without the enabling components? Well, you got this wonderful piece of hardware. Now, Apple does a decent job of putting on some useful productivity software. Yep. Right. But let's say you just have a machine with just the operating system. So what's it going to do for you? It's not connected to the internet yet (laughs) in this context. You've just unboxed it. It doesn't have any productivity applications except Notepad um, on it. Uh, So what can you do with it? Not connected to the internet, not having any applications. You can can start typing, but it's not going to be very useful for productivity or collaboration or getting your job done. So you need enabling things. You need software services, whether they're installed on your hard drive or they're, they're accessed via a browser. Uh, you're going to need connectivity to an Internet, if that's the case, and you want to be connected to the World Wide Web. So, you know, look at a handset. I go and buy the most recent Samsung or Apple or RIM handset. What good is that $700 handset
0: without a data plan and a voice plan? Yeah, you, you find out quickly if you leave the country. <laughs> You do, Yeah, because you, your data and your voice doesn't work and then it's just like, what do I have this phone for?
1: This is, so the cost <laughs> of the product is nothing. I mean, this is why the telephony organizations basically give you the phone for free through subsidy because they make their money in the services. Mm. And you have to know that before you get into this. Otherwise, you've got this Windows device you can't afford
0: even though you thought you could afford it from a, don't, the specific cost of the direct device. So if you're starting out even thinking about doing this, you, you don't have to solve all the problems in the day or define all the costs in the day. You could just look at maybe one small thing in your ideal organization. Well, yeah,
1: you can go your major your major outlays, the things that are most most visible. I mean, even your come back to your Netflix earliest conversation. That's because I just
0: went through this last week, Chori. We're like Netflix costs a lot more than Netflix. This is what we figured out.
1: <laughs> You've got your Netflix at eight something dollars a month. But you don't have a dig in, a
0: big enough data plan. You've got like this 15-gig data plan. <laughs> well, for us, it was – so the data plan was one element, right? And then that gets it to the TV. But then what we found was when we were on our laptops, if we're wireless and we want to watch a movie in bed, we had to actually upgrade our router to so we'd have a better Wi-Fi signal or whatever, AG or there's different – so it's like, okay, so now I need to buy hardware more better hardware to get a better throughput. So from the internet, so I can watch this other service. So then I was like, we need to be really careful because this gets to be a little bit if we spread this around too much. So uh, yeah, you wouldn't make that decision, or wouldn't even know how to make that decision unless you had the cost elements of the other elements. So and that's how we made the decision was we said, is watching not going to a television worth the two hundred dollar outlay for the new uh, Apple router, which has faster over the air Wi Fi? And uh, and it was because it was like three hundred bucks for that. And in the end, we said, you know, if we look at how much time we spend watching on our tablets and our phones and our and our laptops, and not in front of a TV, we actually decided it actually was worth it.
1: But you but you had something at your advantage. You had already segmented all the elements required, and you had line item cost for each of those line uh, those segmented elements. Mm-hmm. So you could then combine them to understand the total cost of the decision you wanted to make. Yeah. That doesn't happen in an IT world that's technology focused that only looks at technology at a domain level of
0: costing and understanding. Yeah, let's go back to your CRM example. If we have CRM in our organization and we open up a satellite office, you know, we don't we don't think about the cost to extend you know it's a cloud-based crm so it's not a big deal for those people no there's more pcs there's the extra support because these people are remote and it's not because we have any remote control software if we need to help them and it's not as cut and dry as it looks it's not really possible to make informed
1: decisions without the financial question answered and we have to only think about budgets when the money
0: starts getting tighter but culture i have to ask you culturally though couldn't this be a hot-button issue? Because if I was in charge of one of these services or in an IT organization and I thought, oh, I have this good idea. I would listen to practitioner radio or I want to do get more understand financial management better. Um, I'm going to go down this road. I mean, I would think in some ways it would almost be culturally not very conducive to a long-term position at the company to start making everybody's job more expensive than it originally appeared. or exposing the cost of the current scenario yeah so is there a cultural element to this not happening not all, besides a maturity element people don't like the rock
1: lifted and okay. transparency
0: people don't like transparency They,
1: you know people prefer to keep the lights dim and the kimono closed if you know what i'm saying it's not always pretty when the kimono gets opened up and yes but the question is how much time do you have left before someone basically demands you to show the goods. Does it
0: for you. Yeah.
1: Or does it for you. It's all about it's all about it's not so much about do you have the option of getting better transparency. It's about when will the question come
0: and yeah. what time frame do you have left? Yeah. And now, in my opinion. No, you're completely right. I mean there are a lot of things I think and how the Netflix conversation came up was I had actually started secretly, you know, not secretly. I just didn't tell the rest of my family. I was tracking these things because I wanted to understand their impact on not only budgets but lots of other environmental factors. Yeah, but, but it was only because I had started. So maybe you know you don't have to get this officially sanctioned in your organization. Maybe it's something you can just start to look at. So if and when someone does come and ask for the numbers, you can actually have your head up on it a little bit. And it will happen because someone's going to be marketing an alternative
1: offer directly to your executive leadership or to the business customer themselves directly.
0: It makes you wonder if you almost need an IT financial management office as well. Most as- most do
1: have that, but they're just bucketing at a much higher granular level that's not comparable, not useful for this comparison. Yeah. They're using the technology domain-based run versus projects Level costing,
0: and that's different than like the the actual CFO and the accounting people at your organization. An IT financial office actually just their sole job is just to look at the costs and manage them and understand them. Is that correct? You know, I, I think in this case you have a finance
1: group that's already doing it. You're just now changing their models, which is the biggest challenge, by the way. Because you've got these guys that have figured out a way to do this in the current environment and have decades of spreadsheets <laughs> link to, uh, yeah, you know, so yeah. to link to link that all feed into their ERP systems and they're very loath to change their models now that it's taken them ten years or more to do this. Mm. So mm. it's it's that's where more of the pressure
0: for our resistance comes from. It's it's the change. And sure, I could talk about the service <laughs> Service based costing all day long. I can't believe I just said that out loud. Um, <laughs> well, you've let me go two minutes over time without stopping. I mean, you must be interested. Well, I, well it is because I just, you know, me as well, lately, I see numbers and data everywhere. I'm kind of like that kid from The Sixth Sense who sees dead people. But I just love this because it's just so consuming. You know, like you could do, I don't know, I'd love this topic, Troy, mm-hmm. but I can't love this topic anymore because it's time for Troy's Thunderbolt <laughs> Hip Okay,
1: so the moment you begin your journey towards service orientation, start preparing for the next question. It's about service-based costing because it's just a matter of
0: time. Thanks so much, Troy. We've got two really exciting shows coming up for you guys the next two weeks. Uh, One where we're going to go back to the future and actually get back to Help Desk 101, Service Desk 101. Just get back to basics. How would you set one up? And we have a very special reverse show coming up. So all that coming up in the next two episodes of Practice and Radio. Troy, as always, thanks so much. You're amazing and I appreciate your time. Take care, Chris. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.